Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, how are you? And our great, man. today, you know, NFL uh, superstar. So I'm excited to welcome Sean Merriam into the show. Sean, how are you? We're going to jump right into it in entrepreneurship, man. You kind of, once you retired, you said, man, I'm going to create a brand. And this brand continues to grow. How much has it been... How much of a challenge has it been from, you know, ending your career in the NFL saying, I'm going to retire and come up with this brand and where it is today? Well, you know, the, the first thing is uh, it's hard for everybody that first year or two, right? Because you've been structured, had this life playing sports, you know, hearing whistles blown, have to be in the gym at a certain time, wake up at a certain time, play a game, practice at a certain time. And so you struggle with that identity you know, crisis that first year to say, what, what, what am I going to do now? And trust me, I had plenty of things lined up. And then some days, even after I was done, I was still sitting around figuring like, okay, is this, is this it? Is this life now? Um, but the same passion and, uh, you know, the, the dedication and discipline you took, I took to be, you know, what I did on the field, I'd start taking that and applying that to, you know, building this brand with lights out and something that, uh, gave me that feeling the same way that I've ran out to 70,000 people uh, before. So it's a very same feeling, and um, I, I'm just loving what I do. Well, that's phenomenal. You know, Aishan, um, who was your entrepreneurial inspiration mainly? Well, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, when, you, when I started out in football, like Ray Lewis and those guys, they were my – People who sat down and, and broke down the game and somebody I looked up to. And then when you start getting into the more of the, the business world, you know, I got a chance for the last 12 or 13 years to hang, you know, be around Sean Combs, Diddy. Um, I got a chance to, uh, you know, talk to the rock a lot and just, hmm. man, I, I appreciate Dwayne's more, more so than all the, the great things he has going on, the success he's had, just his work ethic um, and, and get a chance to watch him from a distance or hit him up. And, you know, kind of pick his brain on certain things. So it's it's kind of, um, it's changed. The other day I was with Jeff Hoffman, you know, one of the co-founders there of, of Priceline. I was down to see him in Arizona watching one of his talks. So I, I've had this um, this very diverse, uh, uh, you know, kind of outreach for the post, for my post career. And how that, how important is that, you know, with your success in football that you made, you created relationships like The Rock. Having relationships. I talked about this earlier in the show, surrounding yourself with the right people. I mean, and that's the thing. I can pick up the phone, contact certain people that are very lot higher level than I am, ask, you know, what's going on, different things. How's that important as an entrepreneur and thinking of a brand and everything? You throw those ideas to the rock. You talk to these high level people that have been to the level you want to bring it to, Sean, because you still have been doing this. I think it's a 12, 13 year journey to get to the specific point to finally blow, blow up. And you've been doing this for about 10 years, right? Am I correct if I'm trying to do the history because I've been doing my show for 13? And where do you see it? Like that that process of the Lights Out brand from talking to these other guys? Is it you scratch your head and say, okay, now I have to even put more emphasis, more uh, look at what they're giving me these ideas and really go for it? Like, has it changed so much from when you first started where you think you want to go now? Well, well, the first part, uh, the answer to your, your first question is, it's everything to be able to reach out to these people, right? Um, you can put together the perfect plan, thinking everything is going well, you're doing things the right way. Uh, but when you talk to these guys and some of the people that you just mentioned as well, this in your life that you can reach out to, it's a game changer because they've already been there, done that. They've made those mistakes. So by them telling you, hey, this is what I did and I made a mistake, I'm like, okay, I'm going to save some money there. I'm going to save, you know, save some time. And so you automatically get ahead of the curve by being able to reach out to some of these people that's already much more successful uh, than you are. This, the second part of that, you're right. I, I think it takes 10 to 15 plus years to build a brand. Um, it's, it's, 
you know, building a brand is one of the hardest things because it takes longevity for people to understand what you are, yeah. what you're bringing to the table. And that's why everybody can't do it. It takes such a long time. You, it's not one of these things that happen to just go viral on social media and boom, you got a brand. No, you have to, you know, implant that in people's minds. You know, I mean, when I when I travel, when I go places all over the country, people would say lights out across the street. You know, this is a name that was given to me as a sophomore uh, in PG County, Maryland, Prince George's High School in, um, in, in Maryland, my sophomore year playing football. So to carry that name through college, through the pros, and now a decade to, to being when I'm done now, to having uh, Lights Out Extreme fighting my MMA company, it, it it has to resonate with people. And that takes a long period of time. And not everybody's willing to do that. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, brand is so important. But Sean, what, what were the one or two things that you really had to focus in early on when you were building out your entrepreneurial ventures? For, for me, it was um, choosing my time wisely, right? You have to get very, very picky with, with your time. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm coming out of the gym and, and, and I have, you know, interview or even got, you know, get an opportunity to talk to guys like you. And I'm like, I, I can't, guys. I got to I got to go because I have this. If I'm not here this time, I'm, I'm look, constantly looking at my clock and my phone right. and my watches all the time and say, I, I have to be here because I have to do this. So I, I got uh, really, really picky with my with my time. Uh, and, and it's so important for entrepreneurs because you it's there's so many different uh, distractions, so many different distractions that can pull you away from the ultimate goal. So I gotten really, really picky uh, where where I put my time. And that's so important. You talk about picky where you put your time and understand what's going to bring the revenue. So tell us about Lights Out, because again, Lights Out keeps changing and evolving in where you're at. It's a lifestyle brand, in my opinion. Am I correct, Sean? And where you that was the goal when we first talked 10 years ago. You should go back to that interview and see how much am I saying now compared to now, you know, even when you did the podcast magazine article about a year, year and a half ago. I think that things have changed. So what just tell people what to expect. You talk about the the company now. What is it involved? What are the types of things that people can get? You get merch, there's the podcast, but there's also the business side with the fighting. So tell us, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when we was talking, I was uh I was selling clothes in retail stores and doing things like that, which is great. Um, I always looked at lights out as you said, a brand um and, and something that started out with clothes and it became a walking billboard for me. Uh, you know, kind of fast forward, I think the last time we talked, uh, eight, nine years later, I launched Lights Out Extreme Fighting, my MMA uh, promotion, uh, now on football sports. We're on football TV. Oh, great. Um, and so all of our fights, you can be seen there. But, you know, to be able to partner with uh, with, with football and have our fights shown uh, all over the country, and, and now we're rolling out international distribution here starting out November, December, and, and be able to show it all over the world. Uh, I've always said this. I mean, I, I believe the lights out was much bigger than anything I've ever could have done on the field. Um, you know, I kind of gave it a name and a, a, a platform and a character that had a, you know, a, a blue mohawk and a sack dance. But, you know, ultimately, uh, when you think about lights out, you think about, you know, someone being forceful, someone being I'm going to go out and get it done. Uh, it has su such a big impact uh, on people's lives and you can't watch a sports channel today without somebody saying yeah. lights out. You well, just, I'm, I'm going to congratulate you being on that. And that's really an accomplishment. And that's by surrounding yourself with the right people. Now you're known as an entrepreneur. You're getting in, you're getting with the influencers there. You have the other influencers that you already know as well. Holy cow. It's huge. And I, and, I, and that's fantastic. Good, Greg. Yeah, that's great, Sean. For Sean. And it's, it's yeah. great. We got to have you back on Sean to talk more. Uh, so I'll definitely reach out to Jessica you can talk about more about this, just the fighting and whenever these new events come up to promote, promote FUBU and what's FUBO and what's going on. So go ahead. Yeah, that's great, Sean. So, you know, all that you've accomplished and all that you've done and where you are today, what's the one most important thing you've ever learned? Um, just to take, take my time, right? I'm a person, I want to go, 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 go. And, you know, so luckily I surrounded myself with people that kind of get me to pump the brakes a little bit and, 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 Think a little bit before I start acting and getting things done because you put something in front of me, I want to get it done. I want to get it done today. Uh, and so sometimes it, it takes a little longer to roll out. Um, patience it, it is something that I st I'm still learning every single day to how to be more patient with this thing. And it, and I'm sure both of you guys heard this. It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly a, not only a witness of that, but a, uh, a person. It. Yes. You're completely proving. I said to you 10, 12 years, I'm finally in that next trajectory in my business. And it took 10 to 12 years, man. It's just how it is. And then skyrocketing where the show's going and where we're going next. As I was talking uh, to Jessica about specifically uh, having an eight state TV deal, maybe you just never know where we're going and what happens. You have to just be open to those doors opening. And you have from that lifestyle brand to where you are now, where is the best place people can find info on you and about everything in lights out? Mm -hmm. uh, well, you can follow me on at Sean Merriman on, on social medias, but also follow the MMA company at lights out XF. Um, for Lights Out Extreme Fighting. And just keep keep up. We're, we're going to be announcing fight dates soon, soon locations. Um, you know, our you know continued partnership with FUBO and FUBO Sports and being able to roll out, you know, show the programming and, and, and more shows with them. So it's been a long journey, but honestly, it's, it's hard to say, man. I, every day I wake up, I feel like I'm just starting. It's always something new that you start building and you start rolling out. And it's just, it's always like a new excitement, man. I never get to the point where I'm like, okay, I made it, I've done, everything is good. Like, I'm like, okay, what else? What else can we do? Uh, and so that's how I wake up in the mornings now. All right. And awesome. Greg, you can find information on Greg at tossc3.com. He's the IT guru. If you want to know anything about uh, cybersecurity, he's the man, Greg Hanna. Greg, appreciate it, man. And that was Celebrity Interviews. Thanks, Neil. From the Grotto with Greg Hanna and myself. Take care, guys. We're back to Neil Haley's show, and I'm first excited to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hall of Man series and also CEO of Seniors Publishing. How are you, Paul? And I know you're excited about our guest. I'm great. Yeah, absolutely. We have Joe Gober today. He's a, not only an author, but he's also a podcaster as well, and I, I've been on his show there. So you did great. Uh, all, all good stuff, and we're now we're now it's now uh, Joe's in the spotlight, and he it's his turn to talk. <laughs> hey, Joe, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So let's talk about Joe, specifically writing and then podcasting. First, writing. How did you write books? Yeah, one writing. Of the yeah, writing was the uh, end of the career thing to do. I'd worked in market research. I worked at the agency CIA. I worked at Motorola for 16 plus years. I worked as a political consultant for political campaigns overseas. I'm part time. I'm adjunct professor teaching, and now. I time to write. So I started actually writing right around uh, year 1989. The week I was done with my first novel was the week of 9-11. And my book was about terrorism in Libya. So I, back in the old days, you wrote letters and mailed things. I ripped them open, wrote a new cover letter saying, hey, if not now, when? Sent them out, got some nice comments, but everybody was terror scared at that very moment, which ended up being wrong because all those books took off during the 2000s. And I then I sat on it for a long time and then in 2014 i decided to put it out updated it and then i have completing my new series my third book of my new series and i'm gonna go on to the next stuff so it's just something it's always i've always wanted to do it but i have been doing it finally Great. got it out sounds, sounds exciting now you you were associated with the cia and yeah and, i went in the and agency motorola? and motorola it was right. they were back to back because uh, agency 8593 and Motorola had the best intelligence organization for a corporation. In fact, it was first. Um, and so if you could go anywhere as a, with an intelligence background, Motorola was a place to go. I didn't have the business background, but I went there, learned the business, and then went to corporate. The person who ran corporate intelligence at Motorola was always a former CIA officer. I was the last before corporate sort of uh, dissolved into the different pieces of Motorola. All right. Let's kind of talk about specifically enough the book. Tell us about your books, the books you've written. Okay. First book, uh, Secret Wars is almost autobiographical. It's a Libya propaganda operations, 1986, the bombing of Tripoli, uh, La Belle Disco bombing. Uh, very, very close to real truth. It was it, uh, 80% of it. Uh, although it all made it through CIA pre-publications review like all my books have to. Uh, then I wanted to write a sequel. My writer friends said, don't write a sequel, write a contemporary book because this was set in 86. So I wrote a, started writing a book called the Spy Devil series. It's about a, a group of, like everybody, a group of expert covert action people who are sort of off, off the books, but not black. They're, they're more kind of like Mission Impossible meets John Wick meets, I don't know, the Avengers. And uh, they do things and they're sort of a family orient, oriented and that's a, a arc of China always sort of being my main adversary in in the book. 
And the third one's coming out November 14th, uh, Devil's Own Day, which is a Civil War phrase. And um, that should complete the arc, although I'm leaving it open just in case I want to write a fourth one down the road. Um, maybe some novellas or things, but um, it is in my mind the end of the end of the road right now. I want to do, I want to do other things. I want to get out of this, get out of espionage. Go, Paul. Okay. Any questions? No, go. go ahead. Go ahead. No, so so how why how the podcast started? Podcast like this, I was uh, asked to be on a podcast. Some of my writer friends were on uh, Al Warren's uh, House of Mystery uh, podcast on NBC Radio. I was a guest. And then Al just sent me Al Warren, who writes real true crime. He's actually he's on documentaries. You see him. Uh, he just sent me a note saying, "Hey, what do you do during the day?" And I'm like, "Well, I teach, and that's about it." And write. And he uh, brought me in to be the guest host for people who write espionage and thriller books, like Paul. So um, it gives me a chance to talk to Don Winslow and Greg Hurwitz and. You know, Don Bentley, all the names of people who are now writing all these all the, the big uh, espionage thriller books. And I know them through emails and met them at a conference or two, but talking to them for an hour uh, really is a different uh, aspect, as you know. You can get dive deep, you know, get to know the people. We like to ask questions, not like, what's your writing process? Although it usually comes up, it's who are you? you know, basically, what do you do? What makes you think about writing? What's the themes? We try to get people to say things that aren't just the usual cliche answers to, you know, do you get up in the morning? Do you have a certain time that you want to write? You know, okay, great. Um, but you get to ask process, you know, do you, do you write at home? Do you, what, how do you, how do you do it? And it gives a, a flavor of who they are. And that, and usually there's one or one a week. Next week, I actually have off. Um, but you know, when I get a chance to talk to Don Winslow, jump on it or Paul, Paul, jump on it. Right. You know, I always learn something. I, I, I have a folder full of notes of when I talk to these authors, I'm learning, I'm writing and I try to promote it. And I say, I learned, I, I, I said the same thing for Paul. I learned uh, from their expertise and their processes or their comments, things I can swipe. I, oh, I mean, uh, things I can, uh, use to my own <laughs> advantage. Um, and it helps. It, it, if it helps me, I'm hoping it helps other people. That's totally what it sounds like to me. It's the, it's that whole process, isn't it? Yeah. Now, well, go ahead. No, I, you, you keep going. The process of just basically learning from you love writing and you want to learn from these other authors you're interviewing and how to become better. Right. And some people are students of getting better. They write, read all the books and they go to all the conferences and they connect. I'm not quite as good a networker as I had to be back in the day. Um, the, the podcast helps and I have email connections and points of, of focus to get to these other people but i'm not you always got to be learning all right and at some point i really like to learn and really like to read but if you're doing that sometimes you got to write so um, like i'm working on a different kind of book right now not espionage and i'm just got a book in the mail i gotta read i gotta learn read other books that are in a, sort of a genre i have not fully writ, written in yet so that's how i'll learn and maybe I'll call up the authors or send them an email. Hey, I loved your book. Can I get a moment of your time? If you don't ask, you're never going to find out. So, you know, do that. They can only say no. And they're not just being rude. There's, these are busy people. They definitely seem like it. And they're busy people. But you get to learn that process and learn specific things. And it's always about learning. What is your goal as an author? What do you want to, what's the ultimate goal you want to accomplish as an author? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be fully honest with you. My ultimate goal was to leave something behind so my grandkids have something to read from grandpa or my great-grandkids had something to read on the shelf saying, that's great-grandpa's books. Um, so something to be remembered by, all right? And so that was that was my deep mental, psychological reason why I really wanted to write was to leave something for my family and my kids to, to, read, to know, know who I was, not to be forgotten. On the, on the contemporary still alive side, um, I wanted, I had stories to tell early on, especially for my agency stuff. And every author wants to entertain. Paul said it a hundred times. We want to entertain our readers. And maybe you have a thematic underneath it. I try to have a thematic, even in my you know, trite little espionage books. Is it relationships? Is it family? Is it controlling your emotions? Something underneath that if you want to think deep, you can. But if you don't, you're still entertained. Um, and, I'm, and I do have in my mind, 
my great American novel, I did ask you this question. Now, is there, do you have to kill a mockingbird, you know, tooling around in your head, your version? And I do, I want to get good enough at writing where I can try to write something that is, um, I don't want to say deeper or better, more literary, I guess. All right. Best place people can find information on you in your work and they go. JoeGoldbergBooks.com. All right. We appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Thank you. This All is right, fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. Thank we'll be back you. in a moment. Thank you. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome first my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and CEO of Seniors Publishing. Paul, I know you're excited about our guest today. I, I am. We have Dora Esquivel. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly, please. Um, yes. And Dora Dora is a is a brand new author, and, and uh, she's going to tell us all about her books and, and, the, and the process and how she put it all together. So Dora, why did you decide to write? I'm sorry? Why did you decide to write? Decide to write? <coughs> um, <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me. I decided, um, I've been writing for a long time since I was little, but I didn't make the move um, till just a few years back. And, uh, and then, uh, <coughs> so about four years ago, I wrote uh, some books. They did okay. They did well. But I was also a caregiver, uh, so my mom passed uh, last year, so I was finally able to write some this year. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm just starting pretty much again new. You know, I just released a, my new uh, contemporary uh, mafia uh, book called Queen City, uh, Bad Boys. It's been selling pretty well, so I'm excited about that. Um, and um, just wait, uh, next month I'll be releasing part two and I have some other uh, books uh, coming this fall. Um, so tell me why people are liking it so far. Tell me a little bit about it. I'm sorry? Tell me a little bit about the book. The, <clears throat> the book is, is deals with the Russian mafia and uh, uh, Mexican mafia and it's a M&M &M, uh, book. And it just kind of, my books are sometimes pretty dark and violent, and it does deal with the Russian mafia. And it uh, deals with uh, with revenge and, uh, and the plotting, destruction, uh, and pretty much taking over uh, Queen City, which is just a fictional city I, I made from my experience living in the West Coast. So, and... Uh, so I got a lot of inspiration from living near Seattle and Tacoma and all those and going up and down the West Coast. <clears throat> so the book starts there with the eventual downfall of, uh, I forgot, uh, with its Pavel, Cuba, are the two Russian people, uh, with Cuba being the main uh main guy the main mafioso and then uh pavel is the second in command and he uh Cuba gets shot so there's a year of recovery and trying to get revenge and and then it starts from there uh, what, is, what the one person, i guess the two mafias being involved together you combining them what do you think's really made the readers enjoy the first book i think it's the <clears throat> The stark, uh, I guess the <clears throat> the darkness of it and the violence, like it's not. I didn't hold back on that, um, <clears throat> you know, blood in, blood out. Uh, with most crime people, crime families, uh, the downfall <clears throat> of of one empire for the gain of another one, and so, and of course it's uh, relationships with between these three men. And uh, and how one uh, loses his mafioso title, his reign, to another one, and how he has to learn to adapt to to that. It sounds very intriguing. Do you want to make that into a uh, series? Yes, there's. Uh, I wrote I wrote over a hundred k, so I had to divide it up in three parts because I couldn't well, I couldn't afford all the editing for over a hundred k. Um, uh, you know, basically, or else I would have published all of it, but I couldn't afford the 
publishing for over 100k novels so i had to cut up in three pieces so oh, that's wow. where we're yeah that's oh, wow. where we're heading towards and so, yeah. you want, so you want the self-publishing route for the book i'm sorry you want the self-publishing route for the book with the, one of the vanity publishers is that what you I did i haven't i haven't tried i've just been um doing indie work uh you know writing myself uh and publishing myself uh, trying to t take on more of the marketing learning more about marketing because that's one skill for any indie author <laughs> It's, they have uh, trouble. That's where, you know, that's why I am working with Paul with uh, Senior Publishing and Hollow Man Publishing to help provide that in those marketing services. Because your book sounds fascinating. Where, and we don't want to give away much more, but where can we find more information on you and purchase your book? Do you have a website for people to go? I don't have a website yet. Um, since I just came back from to writing and hopefully I'll have a, a website up this month by the end of this month i'm hoping to have one up uh but all my work right now is with kindle unlimited so you can get it there um under my name dora esquivel you can find it there or queen city bad boys um and like i said i will be releasing the second part uh next month so i didn't want to leave people you know three three or six months waiting for another book i had written it already uh, the four, four years that I was taking care of my mother. Okay. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again for coming by. No, thank you for the invitation. Thank You're you. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome the program. First, my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and owner of CEO of Seniors Publishing. How are you, Paul? And I know you're excited about our guest today. I am. Uh, yeah, we have a, a great uh, uh, person today of, of interest to us, a content creator, uh, author, um, uh, and, and sorry, Anissa Asabi, right? Did I say that right? You sure did. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. So tell me how this all started with author. What did you decide? We always wanted to be a writer growing up. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a dream that I'd had since I was a young kid. Um, I was always that kid, you know, with my mom's laptop writing on all sorts of scratch paper. And then the book that I ended up publishing, Finding Chaz, was actually an eight to 10 year process that I started while I was being homeschooled in middle school. It was just a project that I was doing um, for my English class. And I wrote the first draft. It was about 200 pages in 2012. And I actually forgot about it for several years came back to it during the pandemic with some adult wisdom, lived experience, and really tied up all the loose ends. So it's a nice fusion of those two periods of my life. And through that process, so it took a long time. What did you see after time and putting it down, then coming back to it? What did you, as a person, you're writing from you know that age to now writing, did you see the immaturity? Did you see, maybe you saw the characters differently? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the world changed a lot in between 2012 and 2020. Um, and obviously I grew up a lot as well. And so the age that I was when I began writing it was pretty close to the age of the main characters in the book. I was in the eighth grade. The characters are in their freshman year of high school. So I think the outlook of the narrator is very, very um, authentic. It's a very genuine perspective, um, but it was a little bit immature. So it was a very cool process to be able to come back see like the original perspective that I'd had and then kind of be eight years down the line and infuse some of that into there as well. So I think it's a unique take considering it's almost like two different people wrote it at the same time. No, it definitely sounds like it. And the thing that you bring to the table is that you're looking the creativity. So you tweaked some of it, finally got it out. What? How excited were you when you finally had that book out? It's got to feel good. Oh, yeah, it was definitely surreal. Um, one of the first people that I told was my third grade teacher. Um, she had been so supportive of me as, at a, from a young age. And we'd ended up reconnecting when I was in high school. And she'd encouraged me to keep writing because she saw that I had kind of, you know, focused my attention onto some other projects. I was doing kickboxing. I was just um, doing the Running Start program. So a little bit busy for writing at that time. And she reached out to me and she was like, you know, it's amazing all the things that you're doing. But don't forget that you're a very talented writer and you should continue with that. And that really inspired me at the time. Um, and so when I got to reach out to her with a completed manuscript, I hadn't told her anything. I was just like, hey, like, this is what I've been up to. Would you like to read the manuscript for my young adult book, Finding Chaz? She was like over the moon. 
So I think for her to get to see like the impact that teachers can really have on people's lives was a really cool experience as well. No, it definitely seems like a very cool experience. It's got to be something that you feel. So is there other books in the works for you? Yeah, I'm actually working on a sequel currently to Finding Chaz. Um, the reception has been really positive. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, what's next for these characters? And I have like a whole bunch of ideas for them. So that's in the works. I'm also adapting the first book into a screenplay. I've been working with a mentor. Um, not exactly awesome that the writer strike is going on <laughs> right now. <laughs> Um, but I've been working with a mentor to adapt it, really delving into that world as well. So kind of wearing multiple creative hats at one time. Do you have somebody that's going to pitch it after you have a screen? That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. Is that he's going to um, help me develop it and then, you know, show it to his agent and see if it's something that a network would be interested in. Oh, that's so. great. Great. That's, that's exciting. Uh, what other projects are you doing? Are you doing anything else that Paul was mentioning? You do other things as well. Um, in the past, yeah, I have. I've done uh, content creation for meme pages. I developed a drinking game several years ago, a card game um, called the Karen Drinking Game. So kind of just getting my paws on like any creative project is my like passion. Um, but currently, yeah, it's the screenplay and the sequel to Finding Chaz that are really getting the majority of my attention. <laughs> keeping it going, keeping it. What do you think that people are going to want, especially if that ends up someday as a series, what do you think the big, big point of that's different compared to other stories that will get people really interested in this? Yeah, I think Finding Chaz is unique um, in a number of ways. Um, the first is that it takes place in the early to mid 2000s. Um, so I think there's a lot of nostalgia currently for that part of history, um, not that long ago, but the world was vastly different than it is now. Um, you know, those interpersonal relationships seem to be a lot stronger when we weren't, you know, constantly connected via social media, texting, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever else you want to, you know, call it. So those high school bonds that we would see in the 2000s look a little bit different than the youth of today. And I think people are really yearning for that. Um, also, the cast or the cast of characters in Finding Chaz is really diverse. But I think it's diverse in a way that we haven't seen before, because these are like multifaceted characters that aren't just defined by one aspect of who they are. You know, we have multiracial characters, we have LGBT characters, but that's not their one identity. You know, it's a complement to the story instead of the whole story itself. So I think it's a really interesting take. Where Where's best people can buy the book and stuff? Where can they go? Um, it's available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and several local bookstores in the Washington State area. So pretty much anywhere books are sold, it can be requested if it's not already on the shelf. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks again for stopping by. Great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, it's thank great you. talking to you. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Holloman series and owner of Seniors Publishing, and also Holloman series publishing. How are you, Paul? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Yeah, thank you. Um, I am ex very excited about uh, Dr. Aaron Ozi. He is a, well, a, a very, very good uh, uh, children's book author, and uh, we're, we want to uh, welcome to the show and, and start talking about uh, children's books. Thank you, uh, Dr. Ozi. Thanks for stopping by. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, let's talk about it. How did, author, how did you become an author? What made you want to write children's books? You know, from a, a very young age, you know, I can recall going to, uh, you know, stores like Barnes and Noble with my mother and, you know, going into different aisles and picking up books and feeling how heavy they were and, you know, really just trying to, to fathom the, the concept that someone had spent years of their lives, you know, creating, uh, you know, such works of art uh, for us to enjoy. And I wanted to uh, repeat that in some way. And so that really kind of in the first place inspired my love for writing and, you know, led into different formats like short stories and uh, novels and screenplays and, you know, poetry is what really kind of uh, really started to get my name out there. But that more or less was just a precursor to children's books. So great. That's fab fabulous. And so the precursor of the children's books and what did you, what, what, what idea did you come up with for your first children's book? Yeah. So I wanted to dedicate something to my mother because she was such a huge influence on me growing up. Uh, and also one of my biggest advocates in my career. 
um, and still is to this very day. And so I had been writing uh, various forms of poetry. And one of the poems I wrote uh, towards the end of my high school education, uh, to me, felt like a uh, a children's book. And that eventually became My Darling Child Shiloh. And it's a tribute to my mom because it's about a mother and son, you know, enjoying the day together and exploring certain elements of life. And, you know, it's a very uh, strong story that allows for families to bond and uh, for special messages to be conveyed. So. Awesome. I mean, that's great. Go ahead, Paul, your question. Uh, how how many how long is how long has your career of writing been going on? How many children's books do you have? Yeah, so um, in total, I have eleven books published. Nine are anthologies, and two are children's books. And I've been writing uh, professionally for over twelve years now. Ah, oh, great! So that that process of getting professionally, what were you doing before that? Dr. Rosie? Um, yeah, prior to that, you know, I had also done. Uh, a lot of uh, consulting, uh, creative consulting, um, but also uh, marketing on various levels uh, with uh, different organizations being, uh, you know, an expert in different areas. So I, I've really had the ability to uh, see the uh, the business uh, side of uh, the operation, you know, when it comes to being an author, you know, versus just being, you know, focused on the creative. So. Excellent. And what do you what what is you what do you consider that the the offering authors advice when it comes to marketing their book? What are the biggest challenges you think as an author, and how do you figure it out based on your experience as a marketing expert? Yeah, no, that's a great question because many of the instances where I uh, actually go into high schools, colleges, you know, do private seminars, you know, various speaking engagements where. I'm talking about my experience, you know, and my rise to becoming, you know, Dr. Aaron Ozy, you know, and how I've reached this point in life and how that can be a tool of inspiration. And there's so many, uh, you know, at various uh, age levels that come to me and say, you know, I, I've written this book and, you know, I don't feel like the world is ready, you know, to hear my words, or I'm not really sure what's going to happen if I make that decision or, you know, oh, no publisher out there will accept me. And it's all these excuses. And, you know, and I say that in the most positive or respectful way imaginable, but, you know, it's that, you know, we hold ourselves back sometimes when it comes to expressing ourselves creatively. And if we can talk to that, that other side of us, you know, and, uh, you know, overcome that stumbling block, you know, then we can really share with others on a mass scale, you know, what we're most proud of. And I feel like that's, you know, what's linked to a lot of the people who have come forward to me, you know, over the years, you know, and have expressed a desire of, you know, making a career out of being in that public spotlight. So. That's awesome. That's, that's exactly the thing that you do. So you're seeing that most of the time, uh, Dr. Ozzy, when you see book sales, it's more speaking in front of groups that get your most sales, it sounds like, to me. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, there's so many different factors that attribute to uh, my book sales, you know, being, you know, a large, you know, ch franchise for children, um, you know, it, but I, I think that there is uh, a lot of value in having, uh, you know, talks, you know, larger speaking engagements with uh, people who are interested in pursuing the written path and, you know, expressing their, themselves creatively in that manner. So. All right. Well, where's the best place, Dr. Ozzy, we can find information on you and stuff. Where can we go? Yeah, everyone can go to my uh, official website at AaronOzzy.com or follow me on social media on practically any social network at AaronOzzy or author AaronOzzy. All right. We appreciate it, Dr. Ozzy. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. I needed a change, so um, I did not have family in Florida. You know, I was all, I'm, I was always the person to say yes, 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 and I would kill myself working despite moving away from my family, and I don't have children, I don't have a husband, and so, you know, holidays were lonely, and those times when, you know, everybody else was enjoying themselves, I was killing myself at midnight madness on Thanksgiving weekend, or I was working Christmas Eve and the day after. So I couldn't be with family. So 
Um, my sister lived in South Carolina and we had always talked about moving and relocating. And it was just, I just needed to do it. It was one of those things where I'm like, I need to do it big. If I'm going to start over, I'm going to just completely do it. And that's what I did. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hello, and welcome to the Women CEO in Reflection podcast. I am your guest host, Rachel Lavin, the author of The Donut Diaries. And I am so excited to have tonight's guest on because she is not only someone that I met when I moved to Greenville and we live in the same apartment building and we've become fast friends, but her story is a lot like women who have pivoted from one career to the next and to listen to her and to hear her story is just so amazing and i am not gonna uh, postpone that any longer i'm gonna let her tell you so welcome alicia how are you tonight good so excited to be here thank you oh good 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 all right my friend so you had a career, like a full-blown career in retail. Before we jump to re uh, real estate, let's just talk about what that looked like for you. What did, what did your retail career? Sure. So um, I could probably talk about it for a long time, but I, I won't. <laughs> uh, I started, <laughs> I started um, with a company when I was in college. I was 19, literally walked in to I think bought us some socks. I was with Phillips being Houston and um, started as a key holder and literally just worked my way up. When I um, graduated from college, I moved. I was always the person to, um, you know, raise my hand and say I would move, especially when it was about moving to a beach in Florida. So um, I was with that company for 22 years. And in the process, I I don't know how many positions I was in, probably six or seven. Um, I ended as an area sales manager. I had anywhere from 10 to 16 stores in Florida and in Louisiana. So I traveled a lot, um, very high profile district. So we made a lot of money and we had a lot of visits and um, very stressful, but um, it was a great career. It was I, I literally thought I would be there forever. Yeah. So it was great. That's amazing. So when, like a lot of us, COVID happened, what happened to that career? Yeah. So probably we were furloughed literally in April, pretty much like everybody else. And um, when we came back in June, we were literally told that we um, were closing my portion. So Van Heusen, Phillips and Heusen had about five divisions and um, I was over Van Heusen and Izod and kind of low on the totem pole when you compared us to Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger, they made a lot more money. Um, and we came back, they were great to us. I, I mean, I cannot complain about the way it happened, but you know, we were literally told at the end of the year that our stores would be closed. So um, I started preparing at that point for my next um, career, which I, I knew I did not want to be in retail as much as I loved it. Um, you know, regardless of how hard I worked, it was my income didn't change much. So I could, you know, be 30% over my goal and I would still make the same bonus, still make the same salary. So, you know, as you know, retail continues to have a downward spiral because brick and mortar is slowly going away. So there was little room for advancement and really still is so much turn, um, but little room for advancement. So I knew that I was capable of doing more and I wanted to be kind of in charge of my own destiny, really my own hours, everything, my own business. I knew how to run a business. I just wanted to do it my way and it'd be mine. That's amazing. So during that time, stores are closing. You've been 
given you know your freedom <laughs> if you will but you're still living in Florida what made you decide that you wanted to not only start a new career but start a new life somewhere else I needed a change so um I did not have family in Florida you know I was all I'm I was always the person to say yes 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 and I would kill myself working despite moving away from my family and I don't have children I don't have a husband and so you know holidays were lonely and those times when you know everybody else was enjoying themselves I was killing myself at midnight madness on Thanksgiving weekend or I was working Christmas Eve and the day after so I couldn't be with family so um, my sister lived in South Carolina and we had always talked about moving and relocating and it was just I just needed to do it. It was one of those things where I'm like, I need to do it big. If I'm going to start over, I'm going to just completely do it. And that's what I did. And it was scary. Yeah, I yeah. know. I know the feeling. So you have been doing this. You've lived in Greenville for three years now, and you've been running your own business for about that same time. So let's talk about that now. Like talk about what did it take? How are you managing do you love it? Do you regret? I mean, just answer all the questions. I mean, I, I can't, I, can, I will absolutely answer all the questions. It is hard. So my first year I moved here, I literally took a year off because I needed that for myself. Um, you don't realize what happens. Well, I'm sure people realize, but I didn't realize what happens when you're with the same company for 20 plus years, you're around, you have the same false for 20 plus years, the culture, which you clearly want to embrace when you're there, that's important, right? But when you leave, you realize that your whole life revolved around it. Your mindset was um, very, you know, structured. And I just needed to like, like decompress for a year. And it was hard, you know, I lost my family, my work family, you know, they were my family. I work, I lost my work family. I lost, um, the person that I talked to every day on my car ride home, which was sometimes three hours, which was my boss. So it, I took a year off and then, um, you know, it was just, yeah, I was like a resume. I haven't, I've, <laughs> I've you know, I started that job when I was 19 and I don't even think I had a resume cause they just needed someone so badly. So I did the resumes, I did the LinkedIn stuff, and um, I got one, one job at, um, at, let me back up, I knew I wanted to do real estate, I'd actually started in Florida with my real estate school, and when I moved here, I was like, I just lost all confidence, I was like, you know what, I cannot do this, because I don't know anybody, I don't know the city, if somebody said meet me here to see a house, I'd be clueless of where to go. You know, I just feel like it was a confidence thing. I didn't have the knowledge of the city to jump in like I did in Florida. So I was like, oh, here we go. So I tried HR. When you're in retail, you, people think that that's all you know how to do, but you really have so much knowledge of every aspect of the business. You can do anything. And I'm such a huge um, push of that for people that want to leave retail, but feel like they cannot do anything, you can do anything, your HR, your marketing, your loss prevention, your, um, the visual person, your, and we worked hard, like talk about people that work hard, we work hard. So nonetheless, when I, I you know, I took a year off and I started applying, I knew I didn't want to do retail, I started applying for HR jobs, nothing, you know, you don't have experience. I'm like, you have no idea what kind of <laughs> experience I have I can tell you some things I have some HR experience so nonetheless it just nothing panned out and clearly everybody was looking for jobs too because it was post-COVID well middle to towards the end of post-COVID or end of COVID so I went to work at a furniture store and I was there three weeks and was like I I cannot do this I remember I told myself I would never do this again and that's it. The very next day I registered for real estate classes. I had my license in about two um, months and I have not looked back. So I got my license. I've had my license for about a year and a half. Um, everything they tell you about real estate is true. Your first year, you don't do anything. You starve to death. 
um, because you're about six months away from, you know, your effort that you put in today, you don't see it for six months. So um, today, if you ask me how my business is, it's great. And I'm super grateful for that, but I've worked hard for that. So everything that I've done for the last year is just panning out now. So um, what I love about it, everything, I mean, there's nothing more rewarding than, you know, closing a house with a first time home buyer that thought their budget wasn't big enough, thought they could never do it because they didn't have a credit score, start thought their income, you know, they, you know, they didn't have the income for it, but it's, you know, it's helping those people that need help, but don't know where to reach out to maybe be a little embarrassed about their financial situation, but just, it's really just the education. So, um, I love it. You're, you're your own, you know, what I didn't realize when I started real estate is that you are everything. You're your own planner, your, your own marketing manager. Um, you have to know Canva or you can't do anything. Um, you need a good coach. And in the beginning, that's hard. How can you afford a coach when you're not making any money, but to be the best that you can be, you need, I mean, you know, that we talk about that all the time. Like you, you have to have a coach to keep you focused because the minute you get your license, you have so many people calling you and reaching out to you and telling you what, you know, will work for your business. And it's just like a fire hose and you don't know what to do. So you need somebody to help you, but I love it. I'm telling you, I I'm, I, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I love it. I thought, I thought that, uh, let me just turn this off. Sorry. That's my alarm going off on my phone. Whatever. I'll have to do it again in a second. Um, I love being in control of my business. Like I said, I, the efforts I put in come forth, you know, with business. So that was a long answer, but that's where I am. No, that's beautiful. I love it because I, you know, I think a lot of us women, when we are deciding that we're going to do a brand new career because we're so comfortable in the career that we're in or currently leaving, we may not think about the things that it's going to take to start a business. And, you know, you and I have been friends for a year and I've watched the things that you've had to do to create a community, to get comfortable with yourself and your communication and talking to people and dealing with people who really don't know what they want. And that is why I really wanted to have you on the show tonight because that to me takes a special person. That to me takes someone who really does love what they do, somebody who is patient, someone who is kind and who is friendly at their core. Like I just can't imagine Honestly, now that I know you, you doing anything else because I've just watched you in action. And I think that it's important for women of any age, really, who want to do real estate to understand this is, this career is no joke. And you really got to kind of love it because, I mean, if I'm wrong, it's like a feast or famine kind of thing, right? I mean, yeah, you have to love it and you have to be passionate about it. I think some people see real estate as opening doors and, um, you know, chatting with people. No, I was sweating to death three hours ago, putting out open house <laughs> signs, putting out a new for sale sign. And yesterday I was sweating to death, sweeping off the back <laughs> porch of the listing that went live today. I mean, I was sweeping and, you know, helping move furniture because we were 15 minutes away from um, the photographer coming, you know, two weeks ago, I was cleaning the house at six o'clock in the morning because the sellers weren't ready to close. And so I took my vacuum. I was, we were going to close, took my vacuum over there. And I was like, we're, we're getting this done. We're closing at nine o'clock. Like, what do we need to do? So it's, um, you can be that person that just opens the doors, but your business is not your, your business will show that. Yes, it will. It will show that it's not all it's, it's not easy, but it is hard work, but in a good way. I mean, you definitely see the fruits of your labor and it's empowering to, um, just help people. Like, it's just so great to help people and have people trust you to do the right thing. And you, know, you have to have so much integrity. It's so easy. You don't have a boss in real estate. So you, you have to do 
the right thing at the right time when no one is looking. I mean, the definition of integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. You have to have integrity. It will catch up to you quickly. So. Yes, absolutely. And what do you think the difference is, or I was going to ask a question, Rachel, what do you think yeah. the difference is in selling in retail versus selling in real estate? Do you have to be less salesy? You're not a sales, you're not a salesperson in real estate, in my opinion. I don't sell, I create relationships, and that just comes to fruition. I mean, people see what I do, they trust me. You you create relationships and then it just comes with conversation. Um selling selling in retail is completely different. You're you're I mean, you you do make a relationship with a customer when they walk in, but you've got to sell those $10 shirts or you don't make your day. So whatever you have to do to get it done, you got to get it done. You know, when, a, when it comes to a house, you would never want your client to be in a house that they don't love. That's, you know, real estate is all about referral business, right? So you have to create that relationship so that they trust you and they send people to you because they do trust you so much. And they're so grateful for what you did for them. So it's much less, in my opinion, it's not selling at all. I think if you do the right thing, the business just comes to you and you don't, you don't really have to sell. So in this market, because of the whole entire world shutting down, not so very long ago, people are moving to Greenville like faster than the waterfall flows downtown. So Talk about that. Talk about being in an environment where, like you were telling me the other day, there's just not enough inventory for the people live, moving here. So what does that, that do to your business? It's hard. It's very hard. So there's not enough inventory because people don't want to get off of their COVID rates, out of their COVID rates. So if they do decide they want to move, they're just going to rent their house out because they don't want to give up a 2% interest rate. So um, it is it is hard. But again, I think if you have the right agent that is diligent about helping you, you can find a house. A, a lot of agents just set up a house search for their clients. And the client is then in charge of communicating to the agent, you know, I like this house, let's go see it. I think if you have an agent that has connections, and is constantly you know, whether it's in the realtor group on Facebook or whether it's in their brokerage group, they're constantly reaching out and saying, Hey, I have a buyer need. I have a buyer need. I have a buyer need. What are you, you know, what do you have coming up? I think the other part of it is the offer. You, you have to be super strategic. You know, if you put in an offer, you have to be strategic about how you write that offer because you need to win the contract. So that's important too. And that takes skill. You know, it's, there's many different areas of a contract. It's just not, it's not only, or an offer, it's just not only the price, it's, you know, the type of financing, the contingencies, um, all of the, you know, the inspection period, there's a, a lot that goes into an offer. So you have to have somebody that can write a good offer and negotiate. How do you deal with, like, let's say a couple really loves a house, you put in the offer, it's not accepted. How do you deal with their disappointment and like they're like oh I really, really wanted that house and so how do you deal with that um I'm gonna be honest with you I've only had one that um did not get accepted oh well, yeah. I know right and <laughs> out, I mean it was we got outbid by um a cash offer with no inspection period so it's really you, you know it's it's really just educating the the buyer too, you know, like there's, it's hard. Yes. But we just keep the search going. And I just, I mean, I just remind them that there's, there's a reason that that offer didn't get accepted and we don't know the reason, but it wasn't the right house for you. So let's, let's keep looking. What can we do differently to maybe change it up next time and be a little bit more aggressive, but um you know, I know that, I know that time's coming. I know I'm going to have that buyer that's going to be in, you know, an offer situation with 15 or 20 offers, but luckily so far I haven't been there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you just, you got to keep going. I mean, you can't, you can't give up just because you lost one 
you got to keep going. I mean, there's another house. Absolutely. Do you mentor any up and coming real estate agents who are still maybe in getting their license right now? Or is that something that you want to do? I've just started. So with the brokerage I'm in, um, we have mentor and mentee. So, you know, it was one of those things because being in retail for so long, I was, um, every day I trained and I led and, um, I, you know, I just said, I don't know if I still, I don't want to know if I want to do that anymore. And, um, but then what I realized is it pretty much comes natural, whether I say I'm doing it or not, whether I'm in a position, you know, a, a, a position with a title, it is what it is, you know, that about me, sorry, I'm false. <laughs> um, it is what, it's just what I do. So, um, yeah, so I'm a mentor for EXP and, um, I don't know. I promise. I don't know why that keeps going off. Um, we're not hearing it. Oh, you don't. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.